You're listening to Burnout Made Me Do It, a podcast for Monday haters looking for change, where I share tips on how to prevent and recover from burnout and interview amazing guests that come and share their stories. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Hollingdale. I'm an ex-burner turned psychotherapist and coach, and I help people feel happier and more fulfilled in their workplace. Now let's get to the good stuff. Did you know that there's a relationship between imposter syndrome and burnout? Two terms that we talk about a lot these days on social media, but perhaps don't realize they are connected. So how are they connected? If you have imposter syndrome, I'm willing to predict that you are more likely to develop burnout in your career. And today I'm gonna talk all about why that is the case uh, and how imposter syndrome comes to be. So keep listening. When I was in my early 20s, I think in maybe my second job in a public relations agency, I was working really, really hard. I seemed to be doing very well. And I remember that I had a manager that I really liked and we shared uh, adjoining desks. And I was probably snooping around where I shouldn't have been, knowing me. But I found this photocopied chapter of a book that my manager was reading. And it was all about how to manage your juniors. And so I was like, that's interesting. I want to know that too. And so I started reading through this photocopied chapter that he had and came to these parts that he had highlighted and written what I assumed were my initials next to them. And I was like, oh, amazing. I'm going to get like really good insight as to how he thinks about me. And as I read these highlighted portions, I read uh, about how to manage your junior employees when they feel like they don't deserve to be there, when they feel like they're just waiting to get caught out for everyone to realize that they've tricked their way in to their position and are going to be fired at any moment. Now, (laughs) as I read this, I was like, that's interesting. That's exactly what I think. Uh, And I had worked really, really hard, partly now I realize because of those thoughts, that was what had made me, uh, I think, very good at what I was doing then or part thereof. But I had never thought it was a syndrome, right? I had never thought this was a problem. I just thought, yes, this is the truth. I have fluked my way into this job. And if I don't hustle my absolute hardest, somebody's going to notice and fire me. And up until that moment of reading that highlighted section that he, the manager, had called out in reference to me, I didn't realize that that wasn't perhaps the truth. It was just a version of reality that I had decided was true and needed to be worked on a little bit. Now, of course, I first came across this term imposter syndrome and recognized it in myself in my early 20s. It wasn't until many years later that I I really got to grips with understanding it for me, where it had come from, how it was influencing the way that I lived my life, uh, and ultimately how it contributed to my own burnout and exhaustion and depression that was part of my working life for many years in my later 20s. 
but now that I do know much more uh, about it, I want to talk about that today with you all because I know I am not alone in having had that imposter uh, syndrome and I know certainly many people are out there living with it right now. So first up, this term, imposter syndrome, I think gets talked about a lot on social media these days, which is awesome. I love that there is a lot more discussion of this and a lot more avenues through which we can talk about this stuff than there were back in you know, the early 2000s when I was starting out in my career. But what actually is imposter syndrome? We all know it by sort of colloquial definitions of feeling like we are an imposter, perhaps not feeling good enough. One of the official definitions from the Oxford Language Dictionary is that imposter syndrome is the persistent inability to believe that our success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved as a result of our own efforts or skills. So that's the official definition. Now, thoughts and feelings that might go along with this syndrome are somebody's going to catch me out and realise that I'm a fake or that I don't know what I'm doing or everyone else seems so talented and I am talentless. We might feel a lot of anxiety because our underlying belief is that we're not good enough or that we are that imposter. And generally we find ourselves in response to imposter syndrome doing one of two things. One is to not pursue things that they think are beyond them, right? So not take risks, not apply for that job, not take on that project um, because they assume that they won't be able to do it or that that's the thing that will finally make people realize they are an imposter and they shouldn't be there. The other thing, the sort of alternative path that imposter syndrome often sends people down is the path of overwork. If we feel like we're not good enough, if we feel like we don't have the talent or the skill, sometimes the way that we try and compensate for that is by working ourselves to the bone. This is the version that I did uh, in my early 20s. I didn't think I had the natural talent or the skill that some of my peers did, but God damn it, I would work all the hours and I would get respect or success as a result of sheer volume of work to make up for the lack of talented work I felt like I was able to provide. Where imposter syndrome comes from has been much discussed amongst <laughs> me and my friends, me and my colleagues, and many other people besides. There are, I think, a lot of origin stories, let's call them, as to each of our imposter syndromes. Any time that we have felt that what we are naturally bringing to the table hasn't been valued or has been overlooked, particularly if it's been overlooked in favour of something else that perhaps we feel we aren't naturally, that can plant a seed of imposter syndrome. Examples of that might be if growing up, the things that you did, let's say you liked to paint or to cook, weren't things that your family thought of as particularly important, 
they might not have got the same praise, the same appreciation uh, as a sibling that was interested in uh, academic studies or sport. Perhaps those things got a lot more praise. And so the things that you were naturally kind of bringing to the world didn't feel as valuable. That can plant a, a seed for imposter syndrome. And then as we go through life, there are all sorts of situations that set us up for further imposter syndrome seeds. Imagine being in school and being neurodivergent and the way that you think uh, and behave in the classroom is not the way that the classroom has typically responded to uh, positively. So you've been labeled as disruptive or um, unintelligent or uh, lazy, all of these things might have been cast your way versus recognizing that you think or behave a little differently for totally legitimate reasons and that there is a lot of skill uh, and talent that comes with those differences they're just not recognized in that particular structure or environment. And so you get another seed of imposter syndrome, right? Like who I am, what I naturally offer, isn't appreciated here. As we move into the workplace, we often find, and certainly in the Western world, that extroverted behavior, confidence, the willingness and the ability to speak uh, first and to speak clearly um, has become greatly praised and for many decades this kind of quality, this extroverted behavior um, and more typically kind of masculine or stereotypically masculine behaviors have been highly valued. And so if you, by nature, by temperament, are a little quieter or a little more introverted, a little more analytical, a little slower to bring your idea to the forefront, perhaps you might be dismissed or overlooked in that work environment because it doesn't recognize that skill, that ability in the same way that it recognizes that more uh, extroverted style of communication. And that can make you feel less than, make you feel like you're not as important, not as talented, not as valuable. And again, imposter syndrome starts to grow. And that's just one of the elements that the sort of Western business world really seems to put undue focus on, right? The extroverted style of communication. There are many other things that they tend to overvalue in these business environments or have for many decades that are sort of stereotypically masculine. So think about being a woman in an environment that praises and rewards these stereotypical masculine qualities of being uh, confident, extroverted, unemotional, um, and an environment that tends to not value or not overtly value the more stereotypical feminine qualities of having great interpersonal skills, emotional empathy, um, being able to connect with others that can also cause this disconnect between a feeling of what we are bringing to the table uh, and what is being recognized and rewarded that plants a seed of imposter syndrome, particularly for women or anyone who identifies with those more stereotypically feminine qualities.
and I'm sure for any women listening today, you've all had the experience of either expressing an emotion in public and being sort of suggested that you're being hysterical or that you need to calm down, or feeling an emotion but feeling the need to, um, you know, hold it in or bury it so that you can be perceived to be professional. Right, that's something that is a regular occurrence in the daily lives of all the women that I know. They have spent so long focusing, prioritizing, rewarding, and respecting um, so called male uh, or masculine qualities that women often can be overlooked for having these so called softer skills. And so as a woman in corporate America, in any kind of like business setting, we have a couple of choices to make or have had those choices to make in the past, which is, do we lean in to those skills and talents that might be a natural part of who we are and perhaps be a little bit dismissed, overlooked, sidelined because of them? Or do we try to deny them or try to present in that more typically masculine way of, of being. Now, either one has consequences that can be exhausting and can contribute to burnout, right? One is we lean into what our natural temperament, skills and talents are, and perhaps we do deal with that lack of recognition, that lack of respect um, and that overworking to try and make clear to everyone else that we are just as good um, or we deny that part of us or, or try to emulate that more typical masculine style of working and then we're spending emotional energy uh, kind of faking it right and that's it's not impossible to do many of us have done it most of our, our lives but that faking it energy um, can be exhausting and it can be draining and so that also can lead to burnout and so it's sort of this this double bind right whichever way you go can sometimes be problematic and so I work with a lot of folks who are or have been as I was in my 20s um, been kind of playing the more masculine part of themselves up in order to be successful but we're feeling drained, we're feeling strained, we're feeling inauthentic, and a big part of themselves had had to be denied to allow that. And so they're now trying to find uh, a position that feels more authentic for them, that allows their natural temperaments, whether that is uh, you know, more um, interpersonal skills, so-called softer skills, whether that is allowing themselves to be more introverted rather than extroverted, finding a way that they can work, be successful and be authentic is really the way that we save emotional energy, we save physical energy and we prevent burnout whilst still um, generating the success that we're looking for in our career. And these seeds of imposter syndrome can get planted for anyone when any part of themselves isn't uh, recognized, accepted or appreciated. And so if you have in any way found yourself to be quote unquote different from the uh, standard expectation of an environment that you're in, then you might also have got that seed 
from that mismatch, let's say, between who you naturally are and who that environment praised. So that's one part of how imposter syndrome gets sort of planted and blooms within us when who we naturally are, what we bring to the table, isn't recognized and appreciated, and in fact is dismissed in favor of other, other qualities that we feel like we don't naturally own or that are uh, work and effortful for us to perform. But it's not the only way that imposter syndrome gets um, to bloom or is reinforced. There are lots of ways that it is reinforced once it has been planted within us. One of those ways is if we, if we take the path of overwork, if our response to feeling that sort of imposter syndrome, that not being good enough, is that we work really, 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 really hard, then it becomes uh, almost a, a sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy in that we feel like we have to work really hard to overcome our deficits or to make up for our perceived deficits. And then when we do get a, a positive result or a successful outcome, rather than thinking, yeah, we were able to do that, maybe we're not an imposter, we tend to then attribute that successful outcome to the fact that we worked so hard. And so now the message that we are receiving and, and reaffirming within us is we can only be successful when we are killing ourselves working so hard. So that can kind of continue the cycle of telling us that we've got to keep that level of work up, otherwise we're going to get busted. Somebody's going to realise that we shouldn't be here. And so we can work ourselves and work ourselves. Um, the imposter syndrome grows and the end result of that is feeling unworthy and likely burnout because that level of work is not maintainable across uh, an entire career. If we go the other way, if we respond to our feelings of imposter syndrome by saying, oh, I won't try that, or I'm not good enough for that, so I'm not going to get involved, then that also becomes uh, sort of a, a confirming behaviour, because then we say, see, we've never done that before, we can't do that, we don't have the skill, we don't have the experience for that thing, we better stay right where we are, because this is all we are able to do. And so that further embeds the imposter syndrome. It's really a catch-22. But the way that imposter syndrome like gets expanded and, and its hooks further and further into us isn't always about stuff that, that we're doing in response to it, right? It is the environment that we're in, as I've mentioned. But it's also some of the very specific ways of working uh, in our workplaces. So I have a, a client, or I've had numerous clients with this situation, where they are being presented with a huge amount of expectation in terms of the volume of work that they're going to complete in a week. So they have this huge things to do list that is being set for them by somebody above them, right? Somebody technically with more years experience at a senior level, somebody that they respect. And then they try and get this amount of work done, right? They work diligently through that things to do list and at the end of the week they haven't finished it and they feel like a failure 
right? They end up feeling like, oh my God, this was the workload set for me. If I can't do it, I probably shouldn't be here. Maybe I shouldn't have been here in the first place. I am an imposter, oh my goodness. When actually what's happened is the expectation that's been set for them has been ridiculous. And we need to look at how things are being set up for us to see if they're even achievable in the first place. But for many of us, that's not our first port of call when we're assigned a task. Our first port of call mentally is to be like, if we don't do it, we failed. Because that's how our brains operate. But oftentimes we are being set up for failure without even realizing it. So as a coach that specializes in helping people either prevent burnout in their working lives or recover from it um, and establish uh, a work environment in which they can excel without exhausting themselves. I really love having conversations with people getting to the bottom of their imposter syndrome. When we know that we have it, that is half the battle, right? Because we can start to call bullshit on it and start to change how we talk to us, ourselves, right? Why it's there in the first place, how it's being reinforced in their lives, either by things that they are doing in response to the imposter syndrome or by things that are going on in their workplace that are furthering that feeling within them and that can really neutralize the negative outcomes of imposter syndrome. I also love working with the workplaces themselves. I think it's really important that industry and business start to recognize more of how the ways that they respect individuals and the differences and talents that they bring to the table can really make a difference to the career longevity of those individuals. And whilst for each individual person, there's a lot to be gained by unraveling imposter syndrome so that you don't have to do all that overwork, all that exhausting stuff that can lead to your individual burnout. But there's also a business benefit of unraveling that stuff because folks who are working productively and happily without imposter syndrome, without burnout, are going to be able to stay with their companies for longer, are gonna be happy there, are gonna produce better work. And so there uh, should be an investment made on the business's part to really explore this for individuals because it benefits the individual and the, the business. And so if you have questions about this, either for yourself uh, or for your workplace, please do hit me up. I love talking about this. Thanks for joining us this week on the Burnout Made Me Do It podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. Till next time, friends. Remember, Mondays aren't the enemy. Burnout is.